When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at RingCentral.com. RingCentral. Simpler communications. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome in, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN for iOS, and of course, presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we're continuing on our recapping of Week 8 with a Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and of course, the most important part of today's episode later on in the show, we have the waiver wire report for all of you, which will, of course, marks the end of this week and moves us into the following week. The most important part, we are in the thick of it. It's playoff race time. We are literally five games away now from the start of your fantasy football playoffs. It is the nitty gritty. It is the time where you have to start solidifying your teams. If you are way out in first place, if you have a great record, you're 7-1, and 8-0, 6-2, whatever the case may be, and you're sitting there, you need to start planning for the playoffs now. Get ahead of your competition while you have the opportunity to do so. Don't get too far ahead. It's still five weeks away. A lot of things can still change. Injuries can always happen on a dime. But start to think about it. Start to think about who maybe you want to target over the next couple of weeks. Start to think about what defenses, what kickers, what running backs would you rather have? Do you have sell-high options on your team because of how the schedule breaks down the rest of the way? Start to think about it. That's what we're about to enter into, that territory. We had a very successful week in Week 8. Continue that on in Week 9. Of course, always make sure you're following us on social media, at BellyUpMDFFShow on Twitter, because there's a lot of player news notifications coming out already on a Monday. We had a lot more information I feel like we normally have, and I'm going to run through it all to hit off the show before we get into the Sunday Night Recap. Aaron Jones, in an estimation was a limited participant in practice. They didn't actually practice today, but he would have been limited in their estimation, which is more than what he's done the last two weeks. He hasn't practiced at all. 
Well, I should, he hasn't practiced since he's sustaining the calf injury in practice, is what we should say. And honestly, coming out of the game, when we recapped it yesterday, I talked about how because it was a short week, I was honestly leaning towards the side of Aaron Jones not going this week. But now, there's a lot of things happening with the Packers' backfield where if he is close to 100%, instead of being cautious, they may have to run him out there. A.J. Dillon tests positive for COVID. He's not going to play. They've already determined that. He's definitely done. He's not going to be able to test and follow the protocols fast enough for in order to be active on Thursday. But here's the other twist to that. Jamal Williams, as you would, as you would suspect, it makes sense, was flagged as a close contact. So they had to put him as they did not practice today. Again, they didn't actually practice at all in general. And the NFL, the Packers, right now, are trying to determine if he is a high-risk close contact, and that could put his playing status in jeopardy for Thursday night. Now, you still got to hold on to Jamal Williams, because we still don't know where Aaron Jones is. Like I said, it was just an estimation or practice. You take that with a grain of salt. But all of a sudden now, if Jamal Williams suddenly is not allowed to play because he was a close contact for COVID, now I have to imagine, one, that he's been testing for you know, COVID-19, the same as everybody else is, and he's never come back positive yet. So I have to imagine if he's able to test negative both Tuesday and Wednesday that he will be cleared to play, I would have to imagine. But there's still a real wrinkle here heading into the early part of the week with what the Green Bay backfield might actually be. That's not to mention the 49ers backfield. We'll talk about all that and more when we preview that game on Thursday at 12 o'clock to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network on your Android app or WWSRN on your iOS, the best place to go ahead and listen or watch live is download the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app. Of course, we're also available to you after the fact on your favorite streaming apps, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go. But we're going to talk about all that and, of course, much more during that show on Thursday. Some other things that came out today, we found out George Kittle definitely had a fracture. So much for the x-rays coming back negative. He's out. I love how they said that he's out for eight weeks. Like, it's not week eight. Like, it's not only eight weeks left in the season. And the 49ers are not going to make the playoffs. I mean, they, they just traded away Quan Alexander. Jimmy Garoppolo is out indefinitely with the high ankle sprain. So Nick Mullins and or C.J. Bethard until further notice for the San Francisco 49ers. Out indefinitely. I mean, that just that just means several weeks. He very well could be the end of his season as well at this point. Jordan Reed, somebody you have to keep your eye on. And we'll talk about him in the waiver wire report. Not really owned. He's definitely he's like 10% owned. We'll talk about him then. And not somebody for this week necessarily, but for down the road as a streaming tight end option, which is why you're not going to go after him this week. He's not going to be on this waiver wire report because you're not going to waste a spot on a tight end who could be a decent streaming option on a week-to-week basis when he comes back, but he could be. Somebody to keep an eye on, like I said, not this week, but when he gets activated, possibly next week. Tevin Coleman, we know, is going to be out this game. I mean, they haven't ruled out officially, but there's no way after re-injuring the same knee that he hurt and went on IR for in the first place, there's no way he's going to come back and be ready on Thursday night football. There's no chance. So we'll talk about the Hasty and the and the McKinnon factors and all that on Thursday's show, too. There's a lot of information that came out today, a lot of injury news. Gardner Minshew's not going to be the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
And Doug Marone took it a step further and was like, hey, even when he's healthy, we don't know if he's definitely going to be the starter or not. I mean, that Doug Marone has been hinting towards wanting to bench Gardner Minshew for a while now. And some people are going to come out, of course, the Minshew mania out there is going to come out and, and defend Gardner Minshew and say, well, the reason he's been playing well is because he's been hurt. Well, partly. The other part of him not playing well is the fact that he's really not actually that good. And I think finally people are going to have to start recognizing that. He was a good story. It was a nice little, it was a nice little cult following he had. It was a nice little fab. It was a fashion fab. It's over now. Gardner Minshew Mania is done. Ryan Fitzmagic is over. Let's move on to the more talented quarterbacks. Now, in Jacksonville's case, Gardner Minshew might be the most talented quarterback they have on that team, unlike with the Dolphins there. But it sounds like Doug Marone has been looking for any excuse to bench Gardner Minshew, and now he finally just got it. So if, if Jake Luton does anything besides, does anything to the opposite of what we saw out of Ben DiNucci last night, which we're going to talk about in a minute, there's a good chance he winds up keeping that job. There's a lot of information came out today. Kenny and Drake's definitely going to be out. We, we knew that was going to be the case, but what was interesting about the Kenny and Drake news today was that Cliff Kingsbury came out and said that he actually might be back sooner rather than later. Now, I don't know how that's going to work with a high ankle sprain with a player who has looked like there may be something else ailing him all season long because he hasn't looked like the same explosive player that we saw a season ago. Came into the season with a walking boot, starting to give credence to the theory that there's something there because he hasn't been the same explosive guy, even when given plenty of opportunities. Now you're going to tell me he's going to come back in a short timeline from a high ankle sprain? I'm not buying it. Not, not to mention Chase Edmonds has looked really good. Chase Evans comes out in week nine and balls out. How do you bring back Kenyon Drake on a short timeline in week 10? Which is kind of what they're hinting at being a at least a possibility in their minds right now. How do you manage to do that? It wouldn't make any sense to me. None whatsoever. So we're going to see what happens there. Chase Edmonds will be the guy starting up. He's, obviously, he's not going to be on the waiver wire report because obviously he's more than 50% on at this point. A lot of news came out today. All the things that you need to follow us on Twitter for at BellyUpMDFFShow because we kept you up to date with it all day long. So let's dive into this show, what it's about, which is a Sunday night recap, the Monday night recap, and the waiver wire report. We record this, of course, late Monday night, so you guys have it early Tuesday morning for your drives to work. And we'll talk about the Sunday night recap first, of course, and the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles. I don't think there's a lot to recap here. I'm going to start on the Eagles side of the ball because my more interesting take when it comes to this game, when it comes to the fantasy values, that Carson Wentz only plays at his best when his back is against the wall. If he's actually expected to perform well, if he actually has reason to be the top guy, where he this is a game against Dallas Cowboys where he's expected to be a top 10 quarterback for fantasy football purposes. He's not expected to have a hard time out there. He's expected to come out there and dominate. He didn't start playing well in this game until his back was against the wall, and he started using his legs again a little bit at the end. I don't know why he has to make it difficult himself, even in a situation where the Eagles finally had a gimme game in this one. And I know it's a divisional game. I know it's the Dallas Cowboys. So I know you always say in those games, it's never a gimme. The way the Cowboys have been playing with Ben DiNucci at quarterback, this is a gimme game for the Eagles. 
And instead of making it easy on themselves, Carson Wentz was a turnover machine. Two interceptions, two fumbles. Was holding on to the ball way too long. And like I said, didn't start playing well until the second half when the Cowboys were actually leading 9-7 to going into halftime. Unbelievably. So I think that's actually a factor, that's actually a variable that you're going to have to take into consideration when contemplating playing Carson Wentz for fantasy football purposes. Now before some of you out there roll your eyes about playing Carson Wentz, um, the guy dropped two 30-point games back-to-back coming into this week. If you don't think he's fantasy relevant, you're not paying attention. This is Carson Wentz right now is a prime example of the difference between fantasy football greatness and NFL greatness. Carson Wentz isn't playing well in the NFL standpoint. Fantasy football-wise, he's doing just fine. This was a disappointment that he didn't play well in this game. So take that into consideration. When they are going up against a team in which you know they are going to struggle, where it's going to be on Carson Wentz's shoulders to make a play, when his back will be against the wall. If you're going into a game where you feel like that's going to be the game script for the Philadelphia Eagles and this offense then that's when you could play Carson Wentz, apparently, because then he'll run around, he'll try to make a play, he'll play more clutch, he'll play more aware. That was a big thing. He didn't play aware at all in this game. 123 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, two fumbles, 17 yards on the ground. I mean, it's pathetic. Especially against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, the silver lining is, Travis Fulgham was still able to do his thing, six catches, 78 yards, a touchdown, seven targets. Jalen Rager... Wasn't a huge factor. He did score the touchdown. It was a red zone target. He had six targets all together. That's also an interesting note. Three catches, 16 yards only. It was his first game back. I mean, just the fact that he scored a touchdown, I think, was surprising in itself to me, at least. They should move forward with this being their offense. Miles Sanders is expected to come back next week, so this is going to be, this is going to be the end of Boston Scott, who... Had a solid game, 15 carries, 70 yards, tacked on 9 yards in the receiving game. Didn't get the touchdown this week, but he had a solid game. He did what you needed him to do. Was a low-end RB2. More of a flex play. But this was probably the last week for Boston Scott. Miles Sanders expected to be back this week in the week 9. But this should be their offense moving forward. With Sanders in the backfield, Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, and now Dallas Goddard who's back. Yeah, I know Goddard was disappointing. I get it. A lot of people probably picked him up and played him just because it was the Dallas Cowboys right away. One catch, 15 yards. Again, Carson Wentz just played horribly and affected all of the pass catchers, really, to at least some degree, with the exception of Travis Fulgham. Basically, what I'm saying is that this needs to be the offense moving forward, as in, I don't think there's any reason to bring Alshon Jeffrey back. I don't think there's any reason to bring Zach Ertz back. I think the only reason why you'd bring those guys back at this point just so they could be depth pieces in case, you know, guys get hurt again, which with the Eagles is probably an almost certainty at this point. That's it. So other than depth pieces, this is what they should be moving forward with, this young core and seeing what they can develop into. Because while, yes, now that they beat the Dallas Cowboys, now that they're 3-4-1 compared to the rest of the NFC East, they're pretty much in the driver's seat to win that division and, and make the playoffs this year. They're in a weird spot where, yeah, you're going to probably make the playoffs this year if you keep playing at least, if you keep beating up in your own division at minimum. But you're still really, at the end of the day, preparing for the future because you're not going to be a Super Bowl team. You don't, you're not actually going to have a legitimate shot to make a run. 
You're playing for the future. You want to see what you have going into 2021. I don't think they're going to screw with that with Alshon Jeffrey. And being how horrible Zach Ertz was, and they've already made it clear they're not going to pay him at this point, I don't see why they would have Zach Ertz come back and overtake Dallas Goddard as the tight end one. I don't see any reason for that to happen. So this should be their core moving forward, I believe. And we might see it remain to be the case. And if that winds up being the case, and guess what? Travis Fulgham will continue to be a high-end wide receiver three, borderline low-end wide receiver two because of his red zone capabilities and the fact he's been the lead target on a team that's consistently having to come back from behind or at least consistently having to go high volume in the passing game in the second half. So his 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 value, which at one point was a threat to disappear if Alshon and Deshaun were all coming back, maybe it doesn't disappear now. Because I think if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, I don't see why you'd bring I don't see why you're bringing those guys back in. Deshaun I could see if he winds up getting healthy at the end of the year for the playoff run. I could see that. But Alshon, why bother? I mean, really, why bother? So let's let's flip over to the Dallas side of the ball. And there's not a ton to go over here. For the simple fact that Ben DiNucci was the quarterback, you pretty much just throw out everything you saw. Of course, there was a lot more bad than good, but I'll give you the flip side for both when it comes to Ezekiel Elliott. 19 carries for 63 yards. Yes, it's only a little over three yards carry, but not unexpected against the Philadelphia Eagle defense. This is not an easy team to run on. I don't care who you are, whether you have a healthy offensive line or not. Especially when they have Fletcher Cox in. What was scary was that he was not involved in the passing game. Now, he finishes with the catch for 10 yards on two targets. But that was only, and I mean that was only... Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When it became the last drive in the fourth quarter, when they were just you know throwing the ball, that's also when Amari Cooper got finally involved with his one catch for five yards on his five targets in the game. So that was what was more concerning about Ezekiel Elliott. Between Ezekiel Elliott only having two targets in a game in which they were trailing pretty much the entire second half, in a game in which. Amari Cooper only had five targets, his season low, one catch, five yards, and a game in which Michael Gallup had 12 targets, seven catches, 61 yards of all people. CeeDee Lamb only had five targets, four catches, 27 yards. This showed why, even though it has not been pretty with Andy Dalton since taking over for Dak Prescott, why he's needed for your fantasy football teams. Not himself, of course, but for everybody else. Because at least when we know Dalton's in the game, we know Zeke's going to get five to seven targets. We know Amari Cooper's going to get double-digit targets. We know C.D. Lamb's going to get six to eight targets in the game. We know they're at least going to have floors with a chance to produce. Because these are guys that everybody in their fantasy lineups have come to lean on at this point in the season because of what they've been doing in the beginning of the year. To have to turn away from them now, to have to pivot from them now, especially a guy like Amari Cooper you spent a high draft pick on to begin with, it would 
be very detrimental to your fantasy team. So the fact that Andy Dalton, as of right now, looks more optimistic than not that he'll be able to play in Week 9, I think should definitely provide somewhat of a comfort when it comes to guys like C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott. Granted, they're going to be playing the Pittsburgh Steelers next week, and that you know that invites a whole slew of problems in and of itself. But Michael Gallup being the high target guy here, Michael Gallup being the main receiver here, helps no one at this point because he's not somebody who's even who's who's only fifty fifty owned across all leagues right now. You're not leaning on Michael Gallup or your fantasy teams anymore. So the guys who are pivotal, you kind of need Andy Dalton to come back. It's also why I'm not ticking a lot out of this game. I mean, I wasn't playing Ceedee Lamb. We weren't playing Michael Gallup. Amari Cooper, we had ranked as a wide receiver three because between being fearful of him being shadowed by Slay and Ben DiNucci being the quarterback, you knew a very low floor was within the range of outcomes heading into this game. So it wasn't a surprise necessarily. Now, Darius Slay actually didn't wind up playing all four quarters, but still, you're dealing with Ben DiNucci as the quarterback who doesn't belong. Just everything with the Dallas Cowboys is just a mess. If they get some pieces back on that offensive line soon, I think there's a chance they can at least become a competent offense again. And I think I think you can still play Amari Cooper as a low-end wide receiver, too. I think CeeDee Lamb can still be a wide receiver, three. Ezekiel Elliott can still be a low-end RB1. But you need Andy Dalton back there because you at least need those guys to get the insurance of the targets that you've grown accustomed to to at least give them those floors in the first place. So that's going to do it for the Sunday night recap. Let's move into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New York Giants. And this game really was just the epitome of Week 8 because it was everything you didn't really expect to have happen pretty much went in this game, right? And that's kind of how all Week 8 was. I mean, yes, Tampa Bay wound up winning the game, but the line on that game was 12.5 points. Tampa Bay was not only expected to win, they were expected to win by double digits. That's how the big the discrepancy was supposed to be in this game. That's why I just say it was really the it was the perfect way to to end week 8. Cuz it was just everything that happened in week 8, everything you didn't expect to have happen happened. Where Daniel Jones was making enough plays to keep the Giants in it and frankly you could say that he left plays on the table where the Giants could have won this game outright. Now he won 256 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Fantasy standpoint, you're still not playing Daniel Jones. He's still so very inconsistent when it comes to throwing the football. He's still so very in uh, uh, turnover prone. Incredibly, the fumbling issues from last year have continued again this year. The only thing that's been making him kind of intriguing, I think, in some situations—not against Tampa Bay, but in some situations—has been his desire, his ability to use his legs this year. But you're not counting on that. So he continues to still be somebody who's going to be well outside the streaming option for running backs. Everybody was watching the Giants as far as the running back situation was going to go with no Devonta Freeman, Alfred Morris getting activated, getting put on the practice squad and activated within a couple of days and still came out of this game with eight carries. Now, Gallman, if you had to play him in a desperation, and I know some people who did, wasn't something I was looking to do, but he did finish the game with 44 yards and a touchdown. You got what you wanted out of Gallman. In fact, you probably got more than you were hoping for out of Gallman, frankly. Because you're not going to be expecting much against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, no matter who your running back is, even if he's a superstar, let alone Wayne Gallman. So if you played Gallman, you got your touchdown, you're happy at the end of the day. 
But what I would be worried about is that Alfred Morris, who was added to the team not just a couple days ago, came in and got eight carries right off the bat. It just shows you that this team is not ready to just trust Wayne Gallman with a full workload at any point. We don't know how much longer Devonta Freeman's going to be out. Something that we're going to continue to watch. Make sure you're following us at Show on Twitter for that. But I can tell you this. The second Freeman's back, Gallman goes back to being a big zero. And he's really a very low-end RB3, dependent upon the matchup. As far as wide receivers go, Sterling Shepard and Evan Ingram split the high for targets. Both had 10 apiece. Darius Slayton right behind him with 9. Now, Golden Tate, again, winds up somehow with a touchdown in this game. But he only had three targets. So, it's Sterling Shepard. It's Evan Ingram. It's Darius Slayton. Those are the three big pass catchers for this team. To really no surprise. And if you played Sterling Shepard, especially if you're in a half-point, full-point PPR league, you know what? You wind up with a decent day. Eight catches, 74 yards. He continues to just be a nice safety blanket, a good slot receiver, that Daniel Jones is targeting quite a bit. And while Darius Slayton didn't have a big play in this one necessarily, he's still the guy that they're attacking and taking shots to down the field. You weren't you weren't going into this game wanting to play any of these pass catchers against Tampa Bay. So the fact that they were able to have some success and you get a little bit more data as to what these guys' roles are when they're all healthy on the field, because it's not something we've seen very often, we all kind of know what to expect moving forward. Evan Ingram, 5 catches, 61 yards off of his 10 targets. He is just somebody who continues to be in that between 11 and 19 tight end range. He's a streaming option. He's not a set it and forget it option. It's been too mediocre. He hasn't been utilized in the red zone enough. He hasn't had the volume that we expected. In fact, this is probably one of his best games when it came to volume. All in all, with the Giants, my fantasy barometer for their players didn't move much in this game, other than you just walked away a little bit pleasantly surprised that they were able to do as well as they did against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. But it doesn't really move too much as far as what their fantasy value, I thought, was coming into this game as coming out of this game. Just kind of solidified some things, especially with Sterling Shepard, that you can play him as a volume-wide receiver three, and that he is the number one target on this team. With Darius Slayton being a close number two, he only had one more target in Slayton in this game. But it's going to be very matchup dependent whenever you want to play any of these pass catchers. We want to play any Giants, frankly, for that matter. So let's skip over to the Buccaneers side of the ball, where we do have a narrative to talk about. But first, I'm going to bring up Tom Brady, 279 yards, two touchdowns. A clean game, a solid game. Kind of disappointing against the Giants, though. You were hoping for one of those 300-yard, four-touchdown type of performances with Tom Brady. Especially if you were, if you were to tell me before this game started that Brady was going to throw the ball 40 times against the New York Giants, I would have expected numbers in that range. So it was a little disappointing in that sense, but no Chris Godwin. Antonio Brown's not with the team yet. So they were down to Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski, who both came in and scored a touchdown. Mike Evans, five catches, 55 yards on seven targets, gets in the end zone. And Rob Gronkowski, four catches, 41 yards on four targets, also gets in the end zone for the third game in a row. Gronk is a top 12 tight end, period. Gronk right now is a set it and forget it tight end. He's playing a lot. That's the key. Not only is he nice on a nice touchdown streak right now, and is he dominating the way Gronk used to dominate? No, we didn't expect him to. But 
because he is a consistent red zone target and a guy who's consistently getting usually five to six targets. He actually had less targets in this game than he has in a while. Usually he's getting about five to six targets. The fact that he's on the field as much as he is, he's back to playing like old Gronk Gronkowski where he's out there, he's blocking all the time. He's playing like 80% of the snaps. It's ridiculous. Never would have thought we would have Rob Gronkowski playing that much this season. So it's been nice to see, and it's solidified him as a top 12 tight end. And yes, even with Antonio Brown getting folded into the mix, even with Chris Godwin coming back off an of injury possibly as soon as week 9, Rob Gronkowski is still a set-it-and-forget-it tight end for me because he's still going to have the best rapport with Tom Brady, especially when they get inside the 20. And the way the tight end situation is right now, there aren't too many tight ends that I trust more than Gronk to find its way in the end zone for me right now. So yeah, he's a set-it-and-forget-it top 12 tight end at the moment. Evans is going to be the guy that we are looking for when Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown are on the field. We got to find out what happens. As I said in my in my podcast, I believe it was a week ago now, when they first signed Antonio Brown, I brought up the fact that, look, Godwin's still going to get his because Godwin's going to play a, predominantly in the slot. And Brady's always going to look for that slot receiver. Him and Antonio Brown, I thought, would interchange to some degree. And Brown isn't going to get the other team's number one corner. Mike Evans is still going to get the other team's number one corner because Brown hasn't really played much football in the past two years. So between when you add in those two factors and the fact that Brady will just kind of throw it to the open guy, I think there's a real scenario here that Mike Evans winds up being the odd man out. Even when Chris Godwin's on the field, he's been second fiddle to him in targets and opportunities. There's a real chance here Mike Evans winds up being the odd man out when they have Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. And now... Because you add Rob Kukowski as a guy that I don't think is going away in the red zone anytime soon. He has to fight with Gronk to get touchdowns. Which I think is going to be what his fantasy value is going to pretty much be based off of moving forward. He's going to be a touchdown dependent wide receiver in your fantasy lineup. Mike Evans is a wide receiver three. And a touchdown dependent one at that. He's no longer in the wide receiver two conversation. Especially with Antonio Brown coming into the fold. We'll watch, obviously, the Chris Godwin injury if he's able to practice this week. They seem to be kind of 50-50 on it. There seems to be some optimism that might be the case. We'll have to see exactly what happens there. To me, Chris Godwin will still be the number one receiver overall for Tampa Bay on a, on a, on a week-to-week basis. He'll still be the number one guy gets targeted, I believe, at the end of the day from here on out to the rest of the season because that's what we care about now, especially with Antonio Brown coming into the mix. The real narrative that we got to talk about with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, though, is the backfield. Leonard Fournette, for the second week in a row, outtouched Ronald Jones. It was because Ronald Jones fumbled in this game, early on in the game, too, by the way. So Leonard Fournette finishes with 15 carries, 52 yards, while Ronald Jones finishes for 7 carries, 23 yards, both about 3, 3.5 yards a carry. And then... Receiving-wise, Ronald Jones actually had one more reception, 23 yards. They had four receptions, 23 yards on four targets. But Leonard Fournette was the more targeted running back, six targets, three catches, 19 yards. And the most important thing is that he didn't fumble. So Ronald Jones did play again after the fumble. He didn't play again for a while after that fumble, though. 
And it looked like he only came in for one or two drives after that. And it was all Leonard Fournette, pretty much, after Ronald Jones fumbled that game early on in the game. Will that mark the the you know the land will that be the landmark that Leonard Fournette officially takes over this job? Because now it's been two weeks in a row where Fournette hasn't just played ahead of Ronald Jones, hasn't just had more opportunities than Ronald Jones, but it's also the second week in a row where he frankly he looks like the better running back all around. Leonard Fournette can do everything Ronald Jones can do in the running game, maybe arguably even better. And hands down, without a doubt, it's not a question, Leonard Fournette's the better pass catcher and the better pass protector. He's the better all-around back. I don't think there's any doubt in that. And now that he's healthy, he looks just as explosive as Ronald Jones does. Is this fumble going to mark Leonard Fournette becoming the starter? I still don't know. I still don't know. But it does go to the point of Ronald Jones is on a short leash. And the second he does something to screw something up, that's kind of it for him for that game. Now, because it was a fumble, because they won the game, because Leonard Fournette did play, I believe, well enough, or at least played better than Ronald Jones did for two weeks in a row now, not just one week, but two weeks in a row, I think the question in everybody's mind going through practice is going to be, does that mean now that Leonard Fournette finally took over as a starter? Because if he did, then you can play him as a high-end RB3, low-end RB2, and have some confidence that Fournette's going to walk away with 15 or more touches between carries and receptions at the very least. Ronald Jones won't just disappear. I don't want to put. I don't want to make that idea out there. He's not just going to disappear. He'll still get his touches. He'll still be somewhere between eight and ten limiting the ceiling of a Leonard Fournette from getting, you know, 20 touches in a game. But Fournette will be in a real opportunity where you can guarantee, if you can guarantee me 15 touches out of Leonard Fournette with this offense and what it's about to be able to do with Antonio Brown coming into the mix, I'm going to feel pretty good about Leonard Fournette more times not being a low-end RB2. So we're going to be watching this throughout the week very closely. And we'll be watching it next week too. For now... You could play Fournette as a flex. I'm staying away from Ronald Jones after this game. Staying away from him because there's a real chance he gets phased out after that fumble. Or at least is purely second fiddle after that fumble. There's no chance that I'm playing Ronald Jones next week. None. Leonard Fournette, I'll contemplate him in the flex. That's going to do it for the Monday Night Recap. Now it is time for the Waiver Wire Report. It is for the moment you've all been waiting for when it comes to the Tuesday episode. The moment where we find you some steals, some grabs, some guys that will continue to make your teams better. Continue to make your fantasy teams go on a roll, hopefully. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. 
so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. Or put you right back into the mix. Remember, you're never out of it until it's over. You can always make a turnaround unless you're 0-8. And then I can't help you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we got a pretty decent waiver wire report this week. Some interesting guys that we're going to have to take note of. We started off going from lowest to highest. Of course, this is all based on being less than 50% owned on average throughout all the leagues, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, NFL. So we take that into consideration and we go to Gus Edwards, who is surprisingly very low owned. After knowing that Mark Ingram was going to be out, after knowing that it was going to be a split between J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, I know that it was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nobody was super excited to play it. But only to be owned in 44.8% of leagues was shocking to me. Very shocking. And then on top of it, we saw the Baltimore Ravens have a successful run game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, by the way, are now about to trade for Avery Williamson from the Jets to replace Devin Bush for the rest of this season. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. I wonder if not having Devin Bush, they felt like they were susceptible in the run game. They also, not to mention, lost Casey Hayward during the game. Now, we don't know how long he's going to be out. That's something we're going to watch, too, because having no Hayward and no Bush greatly affects how effective the Pittsburgh Steelers are against the run. Or all of a sudden, this when there's no Hayward in that lineup, this team is a little bit more susceptible to the running game. And that's something you have to know, you have to watch, because they've been a big black mark for no matter how good the running back is for anybody having to face them in fantasy. So that's going to be something that we have to watch moving forward. They have another tough matchup against the Colts this week, I understand that. But once again, it doesn't really sound like Mark Ingram's truly going to be able to suit up. John Harbaugh came out today and said, you know, he's hopeful that he'll get back on the practice field. But now they're kind of recognizing that it's more of a high ankle sprain than a low ankle sprain. Being out week nine would be, I think, the minimum that he would be out for. Where The earliest I think he could come back if this is a true high ankle sprain would be week 10. It doesn't make sense that he would be able to come back in week nine because he wouldn't have hit the four-week mark yet. And that's usually the lowest of the timelines when it comes to the high ankle sprain. Especially we're talking about a guy with Mark Ingram who's not super explosive to begin with. He leans on his physicality. And if you take away a little bit more explosiveness from a non-explosive player, then he just becomes a plodding dud out there. It doesn't make sense to play Mark Ingram unless he's 100% healthy. On top of the fact of what we talked about yesterday when we recapped this game. The fact that this running game, it's not better without Mark Ingram, but it's better when it has just two running backs to focus on. Just two guys to split with. Just two guys to get in the rhythm. They're much more effective that way. And while it is the Colts, we know it's a run-first team, and they found a way to move the ball on the Steelers through the ground. And they're going to try to find another way to do it with the Colts this week too. The one nice thing is that because you have Lamar Jackson, it naturally opens up holes for the running backs that would not ordinarily be there. So Gus Edwards at 4.8%. He's an RB3 for us this week. He's a guy you could pick up, play in the flex, 
play as your fill-in bye week or injured RB2, which I know is going to be a, a, the case for quite a few people out there as well this week. 4.8%. You can go get him. And I'll, I'm going to jump to the guy who's the highest owned on our list because he's on the same team, J.K. Dobbins. 49% just makes the cut for this waiver wire report. Just makes the cut. Now, he has a little bit more floor to him because even though the running backs weren't very involved in the passing game against the Steelers, I think we all do know that when they do throw the ball to the running backs, it's most likely going to be J.K. Dobbins. It's not going to be Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is really a zero in the passing game. Dobbins has the explosiveness. He showed really good vision. I've been saying it all along. I think J.K. Dobbins needs to be the lead running back and you bring in the thunder in certain situations, with whether that's an Edwards or an Ingram. But if you want to try to take this offense to the next level and build your identity, you need to get more explosiveness coming out of that running game. Especially if teams are just going to continue to bottle up Lamar Jackson in the passing game. that You're going to need J.K. Dobbins. You need to start ripping off big plays in the running game again. You're going to need J.K. Dobbins to do that. So he's 49% owned. Both of these guys are people that I would use my priority on. Dobbins... I would use maybe 15% of my fab budget on, where Gus Edwards, I'd probably only use 10. Like I said, he doesn't have as big of a floor. And let's also keep in mind here, they could be one-week rentals because Mark Ingram could be back as soon as week 10. And then we go back to who knows who the running back is. Who knows who's going to get the touches. And we we could potentially go back to none of the running backs being fantasy relevant. Unfortunately, that's the situation that's in front of us. We'll see what happens. But for week nine, I do believe Dobbins and Gus Edwards will both be flex-worthy plays who can come in and sub for your RB2 who's on that buy or injured for the, just this upcoming week. Another guy that, of course, we have to talk about, DJ Dallas, only 11.7% owned. That obviously has more to do with the fact that nobody knew what was going on with the Seahawks' backfield heading into Sunday. I mean, nobody knew. You had the chance of Chris Carson or Carlos Hyde playing. Travis Homer, you knew was going to be active. You weren't sure what his role was going to be. And apparently Homer was not so banged up that they had to keep him inactive, but banged up enough where they didn't want to get him involved. They talk about that a little bit after the game. DJ Dallas wasn't great. Now, it wasn't a great matchup either against San Francisco 49ers. Let's be, let's be fair. He didn't play well. From a fantasy standpoint, he was great because he had two touchdowns. But on the NFL field, as an actual running back, he looked like just a guy. There didn't look like there was anything really that special about him other than he has enough of a skill set where if he's going to be the guy left standing, they'll involve him in both the rushing and the passing game. They're not going to exclude him from one or the other. And I'll say this, he's probably better than Travis Homer, but that's not really saying much. So, DJ Dallas, though, I'm not going crazy going after him. If I have a top five priority, I'm not using it on him. I'm not spending a ton of fab on him. I'm trying to get him for free. Or if I'm already in the bottom tier of priorities and I really need a running back heading into this week or I'm a Chris Carson owner, I'll look at it that way. But there's a real chance that we're talking about Chris Carson playing week nine. If he was really a 50-50 game split for this past week and week eight, And we know how much Carson's chomping at the bit to prove that he can be durable because he's heading into the last year of his deal. Well, I think there's actually probably a more than 50% chance that Chris Carson will wind up suiting up this week. And therefore, DJ Dallas would be rendered absolutely useless. Dallas is only good to you if everybody else is gone and he's the last man left standing. Doesn't really matter who they're playing. 
but he has to be a speculative ad. If you're a Chris Carson owner, I think you have to pick him up, protect yourself, because it could still be Carlos Hyde. That's a factor here, too. But with the hamstring injury that he suffered, it sounded like it's more of like a re-aggravation. And while technically he was also lumped in there with Chris Carson as being a 50-50 split, as far as being a game-time decision goes, I'm a little less optimistic on Carlos Hyde being able to suit up. But it is in the range of outcomes. And Carlos Hyde, if he's able to practice... He's only 29% owned. Again, another option. If he plays and Chris Carson doesn't, then Carlos Hyde would be the guy. But this is why that when it comes to Seattle backfield, while they're on the waiver wire report, while I'm making note of these guys, I'm not going to spend a top priority. I'm not going to spend a ton of fat. That's not going to happen. Jalen Rager, 14% owned. He was on the waiver wire report last week when he finally got activated. Deshaun Jackson's not coming back anytime soon, and there could be a, a question could be made whether or not they bother to bring him back at all. And when they do, by that time, it's a real chance Jalen Rager will have solidified himself as a starting wide receiver for this Philadelphia Eagles team at that point. Had a touchdown this past week. You're talking about a guy who is a boomer bust wide receiver for a guy who can be a home run threat in your lineups. You're looking at a Jalen Rager. You're looking at an offense that's going to have to continue to put up points. Again, like I said, this is a team more times than not, with the way Wentz has been playing, with the way this team has been playing in general, they're going to have to come back and go high volume in the passing game in the second half most of the time for the rest of the season. That bodes well for Jalen Rager. Only 14% owned. He is a pickup who I'm going to spend a top priority on. I'm going to spend 20% of my fab budget at least on, especially if I need a wide receiver. Damian Harris, thirty. This one surprised me. I didn't realize he was thirty-one. He was only thirty-one percent owned on average. I, I didn't realize that. It makes sense when you dissect it because you don't want to play a Patriots. I mean, player. I was going to say Patriots running running back, but player really in general right now. Cam Newton had an okay day fantasy wise because he ran, and he'll probably be in the streaming territory because the New York Jets next week. And Damian Harris might be in the flex territory because the New York Jets next week which is why he kind of makes the waiver wire report here. I talked about that in the recap in yesterday's show. Make sure you go back and listen to that on your favorite streaming app. Talked about how that if the Patriots want to do anything offensively, their identity is going to have to be built around the read option power run game with Cam and Damian Harris, in my opinion, over Sony Michelle, who's frankly, even though it's been a small sample size, I think has shown you more lately that he can be a little bit more explosive when they actually give him the ball. That's been the number one issue, I think, so far with Damian Harris is just not getting the football. Other than two games now, he's actually had more than 15 carries. And he's been effective in those two games when they've actually done that. That just needs to be their, their identity on offense. They have to ground and pound with their quarterback and with their running back. Now, I know Sony Michelle coming back potentially soon muddies up what, what already is a very muddy backfield. But I believe, I don't always give coaching staffs credit for logic actually playing out the way that it should. But when it comes to the Patriots, I give them a little more credit. I give Belichick a little more credit that he might actually play things out the way he should and kind of recognize that. Josh McDaniels, I have no faith in. 
Josh McDaniels, I already talked about Josh McDaniels last week. I think there should be a real case to be made that Josh McDaniels should no longer be the offensive coordinator for New England Patriots moving forward. He should be fired from that gig. Not only is he no longer a head coaching candidate, he should be fired as the offensive coordinator for New England Patriots because he's got no clue what to do right now. None whatsoever. And not that there's a lot of talent on this team, admittedly so, but your identity of what you should be should be pretty obvious. And it's what you did against the Buffalo Bills. It shouldn't have taken him that long to figure it out either. So if this does wind up being a, a, a you know, him turning the corner here as far as schematics go, it shouldn't have taken you eight weeks to figure out exactly what this Patriot offense should have been. I mean, let's get real here. So I have big problems with Josh McDaniels, but Bill Belichick, I do not. Bill Belichick, I believe, is going to turn this into a ground pound. We're going to have to just do what we do best, which is play not to lose, play ball control, play, you know, play a field position. That should include getting Damian Harris more involved. Enough of this Rex Burkhead stuff. James White is fine, whatever. But James White is not somebody you want either. Damian Harris at 31% owned. I don't think it's something. He's not somebody you have to spend anything on because nobody really wants to touch this Patriots team, let alone a backfield that could have Sony Michelle being added to it any, any week now. So I think you can get him for free. I don't think you have to put a waiver claim in for him. I don't think you have to pay fab budget for him. But he is a guy that, logically speaking, if they do what they should do on offense, Damian Harris will get 15-plus carries a game. With Cam Newton, if that were to be the case, Damian Harris would become a low-end RB2. So there's a potential there because there's a logical argument to be had as to why Harris should be valuable moving forward. We'll see if it comes to fruition. That's why I say you know, I think you can get him for free, and I would try to get him for free. Not going to pay anything for him. It's still too too risky of a situation. But definitely somebody very interesting to me on this week's waiver wire report. The next guy, Naeem Hines. 34.9% owned. Now, that was the other piece of news that came out you know, on Monday. Was that Jonathan Taylor maybe did get a little bit banged up. And I, I talked about that actually in the recap. But I was like, I had to go back and look. Did he get banged up? Because nothing about it made any sense. Then there was word that came out that said maybe he did have a minor injury to his ankle during the game. But here's what I found interesting. Frank Reich came out and said that he didn't find that out until after the game was over. So in Frank Reich's mind, what he is indicating is that while the game was going on, he was just going with the hot hand approach. That concerns the hell out of me when it comes to Jonathan Taylor. And what his fantasy value is. Because now, all of a sudden, you're going to have to question whether or not he's definitely going to get the touches that week. I, if, in Frank, if Frank Reich is telling the truth, that he did not know about an ankle injury to Jonathan Taylor, that he just looked at the hot hand and the fact that Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines were being more effective out there, and therefore he just started playing them more and didn't stick with his, you know, his top rookie then that really worries me if I'm a Jonathan Taylor owner. But what it does do as far as, as far as this waiver wire report goes is let me know that Naeem Hines and PPR leagues only, this is for PPR leagues only, if you're in half-point standard, don't bother with Naeem Hines because there's as messy of a backfield as the Rams, as the Patriots, as the 49ers, as everybody else that you don't want to touch. But if you're in PPR leagues, Naeem Hines is available to you in that receiving game. T.Y. Hilton gets hurt. There's not a wide receiver that you want to own. There's not a wide receiver who gets the clear-cut targets. If you're the pass-catching back with Phillip Rivers, you're going to at least have a floor. He's at least going to have flex appeal in any given week. 
So Naeem Hines, again, I'm not spending a top priority for him. I'm not spending fab budget on him. I'm getting him for free. I'm probably waiting until after waivers clear to try to pick him up. But he is somebody who I'm taking note of if I'm in a PPR league and I need somebody, I need somebody to come in and plug in as my, you know, fill in RB2, as my fill in flex. Because now we know that Jonathan Taylor coming out of the bye is not going to take over the job. It's not going to be the Jonathan Taylor show. And that's what we were asking ourselves. That's what we were waiting to see. That's not going to be the case. That, that's what got confirmed for us. So Aineem Hines is going to continue to be active in that role. Next guy, Zach Moss. Kind of a no-brainer. Only 30, 36% owned on average. Had the big game because he had the 80 yards and he had the two touchdowns. My only caution with Zach Moss is don't go crazy after him because keep in mind, we talked about in the recap yesterday, him and Devin Singletary were still dead even 50-50 split across the board as far as touches go. Zach Moss was the one who scored, but Devin Singletary was actually pretty effective in that game as well against the Patriots, and they had exactly the same amount of touches. It just happened to be Moss who scores a touchdown that game. We know that when it comes to the Buffalo Bills, there's a lot of games where the running backs in general don't score at all because it's Josh Allen that week. So do you have to own him? Is he rosterable? Yes, but Zach Moss is not somebody who just became an ultimate play for me. I don't have super confidence that this is definitely Zach Moss's backfield moving forward. It, it, touch-wise, snap-wise, it still wasn't. Is it possible? Yes. Because I do believe the Bills, at the end of the day, kind of want to move off from Devin Singletary, or at least don't want him to be the lead back. But Zach Moss still has an injury history dating back into college. So all that's just to say, I don't want to see people going out there blowing what's you know 50% of what's left of their fab budget on a guy who more times than not is going to be a low-end RB3 than a high-end RB2 like he was this past week. I just don't want you to see blow your blow your load on a guy who very well next week could have nine carries for 30 yards and no touchdowns because of the way the Bills have been playing on offense. That's all. Would I spend 20-25% on a running back who potentially could take over a lucrative offense? Sure. Am I spending a top three priority? No. Would I spend a top five? Perhaps, depending on what the roster construction on my team is, if I really need a running back who could potentially become a third running back in my lineup that I could use on a consistent basis. Sure, I'd look at that. But top three? No way. I'm not spending it on Zach Moss. Next guy, I am going to be going aggressive after. He's probably my number one target on this waiver wire report, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's Corey Davis. 37% owned. Corey Davis is very good. Corey Davis is the guy. He just is. I mean, look, he's only 37% owned. He's getting targets right there with A.J. Brown. As long as there's no Adam Humphreys in the mix, and he could be back this week, but he's getting targets right alongside A.J. Brown there. There's He's not getting dominated in that, in that department. So he's getting the opportunities. And you know what? He's been solid. This year, he had a big game this past week. Has he had some dud games? Yeah, absolutely. It's why he's more of a wide receiver three. But he's, he's, I mean, when he's healthy, he's averaging between seven and 10 targets. 
you can't ignore that right now. Especially on a Titans offense that, for the most part, has played very well. So Corey Davis is somebody I am I'm going to be aggressive going after. I want to spend 25% of my fab. I want to I want to, I'm going to spend my top priority, especially if I'm in a situation where I'm looking for a wide receiver over these next few weeks and that has rest of season value, which he does. So Corey Davis is a top priority for me heading into this waiver wire. Mike Williams makes my list at 42%. He had too good of a game to not make my list. But I still, this is another guy where, while he's on the waiver wire report, while I would make note of him, and if you need a wide receiver, I would think about trying to acquire him. Not for a lot. I would only spend 10% of my fat budget on him. I would only spend a bottom seven priority on him. The caution is, is that he only has one game with a healthy Keenan Allen where he was able to get targeted as well. That's it. Only one game. We've only seen it one time. So would I be surprised we come back next week and Keenan Allen has 15 targets while Mike Williams has four? No, because that's been more of the norm. Last week, so far, was more of an aberration than something that we can expect moving forward. So that's why I just I give you a cautionary tale when it comes to Mike Williams before everybody gets crazy because everybody loves Mike Williams. I love Mike Williams because I love his talent. We know what he could possibly become. There's no question about it. But I am not, I am not going to go crazy over getting Mike Williams off of one game where he finally got to see eight targets alongside of a healthy Keenan Allen. Just a cautionary tale. Next guy up, Jamichael Hasty, 46% owned. So I went back and I was able to watch this game all the way through instead of the bits and pieces that I was watching it for on Sunday. And... There's reason to believe that Jared McKinnon's going to be the guy Thursday night, not not Jamichael Hasty. First of all, Jamichael Hasty didn't play well. I play it simple. He had a bad fumble. I know he fell into the end zone at one point, but he was very inefficient. He didn't look good. Jared McKinnon is definitely the superior passing back. There's no question about it. And on top of it, Jared McKinnon outsnapped Jamichael Hasty, mostly because once Nick Mullins came into the game for Jimmy Garoppolo in the third quarter. And they had, and the 49ers offense came to life finally because you know you weren't dealing with Jimmy Garoppolo, who was clearly just not 100%. What you had on your hands was Jarek McKinnon playing with Nick Mullins. Jermichael Hasty didn't play that much once Nick Mullins came into the game. I don't know what the relation between Nick Mullins and Jarek McKinnon was. I don't know if it's just because Hasty wasn't being very effective, so Shanahan decided to switch things up because it was a divisional game and you still wanted to give yourself a chance. I don't know if that was the idea. But there's a real chance here Jared McKinnon's going to want to be the lead guy. Having said that, if McKinnon is still dealing with quote-unquote tired legs and they don't want to overwork him because now we don't know what the timeline on Tevin Coleman's going to be coming back. We know we're still a few weeks away from Raheem Mostert being able to return. Well, then they're going to use both of these guys. We know that much at least. And that means against the Green Bay Packers, they can both at least be flex plays. So therefore, he has to make this list. Maybe we'll get some word on who's going to be the starter before the game, and I'll give you a better chance to make a decision. If you haven't picked up Jermichael Hasty yet, and he is available, like I said, he's, he's owned in 46% of league, so he's close to that 50% mark. But if he is available to you, don't go crazy trying to pick him up. 
because he goes back to being, I believe, useless once Raheem Mostert's back in this in this situation. However, there's a decent chance in this matchup he could be a flex because they're they're going to lean on the running game. Whether it's McKinnon, Hasty, with the combination of the two, they're going to lean on the running game against the Green Bay Packers because that's the best thing that they're going to be able to do against them. Especially the Shanahan system, which is notorious for tearing up Dom Capers in the Green Bay defense. So they could both be flex plays this week. Somebody I'm looking at if he's still available. Not crazy about, not in love with, but the situation dictates that. Next guy, I could not believe he was still less than 50% owned with Dallas Goddard. Now, he'll definitely be over that threshold this week, but he's still only 48% owned. I know he didn't have the great game this week against Dallas. He's Especially when you look at the tight end landscape right now, I think there's very little doubt in my mind that on a, from here on out on a week-to-week basis that Dallas Goddard's not a top-10 tight end moving forward. I, very little, very little, little doubt in my mind that he's not going to be a top-10 tight end. He's going to be in there. He's going to be the guy. Even when Zach Ertz comes back, which we're still probably a month away from that being a possibility anyway, he's their future. He's the guy they're going to lean on moving forward. Better games are ahead for him. Dallas Goddard, if you've been streaming tight ends, he is the godsend that you are looking for to now be able to set it and forget it at that tight end position, which has been an absolute nightmare this year. Just an absolute nightmare. Well, Dallas Goddard at 48% owned. He's kind of right there with Corey Davis for me this week where I'm going all out to go get that guy, especially, you know, again, roster construction. You, need to, you, you have to be in a situation where you need to have a tight end, of course. But, like, for George Kittle owners out there, I would be jumping up and down to try to get Dallas Goddard. The whole reason he took George Kittle is so he wouldn't be in the position of having to stream all these bum tight ends that are ranking around 11 to 18 that are all in the same range of each other that are so Jekyll and Hyde. I wouldn't want to be in that situation. So I'm going to spend 20, 25% of my fab, but I'm going to use a top priority on a Dallas Goddard because he has that top 10 tight end potential and it avoids you having to have a similar headache from the rest of the people in your league. It gives you an advantage. So it becomes very important in that scenario. That's going to wrap it up for the waiver wire report. That's going to wrap it up for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We'll be back again on Thursday from 12 to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Make sure you download that on your Android app or if you have iOS, WWSRN. Of course, we'll be back on Friday as well from 12 to 1.30. But on Thursday, we'll be doing the early window of Week 9 games, which includes the Thursday night preview, doing the injury updates. We might... Have a special guest for you guys on Friday. I'll let you know that more as long as you're following us and you'll find that out real quickly on social media at BellyUpMDFFShow and keep us up to date with all those player news update notifications for you. So keep that notification alert on. So we'll be back then. The rankings will be up on BellyUpFantasySports.com by Thursday morning, usually late Wednesday night, but at least by Thursday morning they'll be available to you guys. Finish, hey, last two weeks finished in the top 12. So that only it gives me happiness and gives me pride to be doing well at something, of course. But it's more of a it's more of a selfless pride. I, I have to admit because it's more about I know if I'm being accurate than the people at MD Nation who follow this show, who follow me, are getting accurate information too. So that's what we're always working for every single week. So make sure you go ahead and check that out on the BellyUpFantasySports.com website. Everyone, stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday for your Week 9 matchups. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Ready. Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.